a part of the show at 336-3700 or toll-free 1-800-529-KBOI. Now, back to Casper and Chris on News Talk KBOI. Good morning and uh, welcome to White Knuckle Thursday as you drive into work. Good news is uh, you're going to get traffic updates every 10 minutes throughout the uh, morning and uh, could be kind of a fun drive to uh, work this morning. We uh, predicted yesterday that maybe it would snow. And you know what? Maybe it did. Uh, yeah, and it continue. It's going to continue to fall. Um, it depends on how warm we get. We're at 33 degrees as of right now. So it, it, usually temperature right before sunrise will drop. So we're going to probably continue to see snow falling in the Treasure Valley at least for a little while, probably turning to rain showers later, uh, which could cause its own you know, set of problems. However, if you're traveling to the mountain areas, you might want to check out your road reports. If you're traveling through Oregon on I-84, going to the mountains uh, through McCall, or towards McCall, check out your road reports. A little more snow in Canyon County this morning when I left. Is that right? Um, Yeah, not a fun drive out of Canyon County, especially once you got off the freeway. But even on the freeway, uh, we've had at my house a little over an inch of snow as you got into Boise, just a skiff, but I don't know if it's coming this way and just hadn't reached this it was it's, still coming down as we were coming into downtown yeah. Boise, yeah. Uh, but um, the uh, commute was a little bit better. Still snow and slush covering the roads. So just be careful out there this morning. Take plenty of extra time. It usually takes me twenty to twenty-five minutes to drive in. It took me forty minutes to get in this. Morning. Yeah, right now in, uh, in in Boise, it's a light snow and kind of wet. Yeah, you know that's what's falling. Uh, the stock market, after a sell-off yesterday, after a sell-off on Tuesday, looks like we're going to continue with the sell-off today, down 281 points on the uh, futures. Uh, not quite sure where this is coming from. We'll talk with Jeremiah Bates. We're going to talk with him. I'm, I'm going to see if he can talk a little extended time because uh, Janet Yellen predicted that our debt ceiling will be reached sometime today, which means once we hit that debt ceiling, no more money can be spent. <laughs> no more money. No more money can be borrowed. Now it, it's oh, not. Oh, you're serious? Yeah, it's not doom and gloom as of yet. We don't default on our loans, which would be catastrophic not just to us here in the United States, but the entire rest of the world. We don't default on those loans until sometime in June. Oh, okay. However, we are set up for a very long fight between Republicans, Democrats, and the White House because Republicans in the House have already said. They're not going to pass an increase to the debt ceiling unless there is a cut in spending. And President Biden said he will veto anything that comes out of the Senate and the uh, House as far as bills that include cuts in spending, which (laughs) seems weird to me. Business as usual. Yeah. So we're not going to do this. And I'm not going to do this, and later you'll both do both of those things. What does this mean for us? I have no clue. That's why we have Jeremiah Bates. So he's going to be with us coming up here this morning. Man, we've got a lot of people on the show today. Uh, He's going to be with us. Uh, We're going to try and get him for an extended period to kind of tell us what all this means. Mm -hmm. Is it serious? Will it affect you and I, the average Joe American, uh, our investments, 401ks, etc. What will it do all, to inflation? All that stuff. All I want is for him to tell us once and for all what is the ultimate place to put your money, and and that's all there is yeah, to it. Good luck with that. Yeah, no one ever does that. <laughs> uh, also, this morning, um, this is the first week the legislature's been underway for a couple of weeks now, um, and during the legislative session, we uh, have the lawmakers in to uh, talk about laws, uh, basically talk about the sausage being made. <laughs> 
two things you don't want to see, laws being made and sausage. Um, so we have them in every Friday, uh, Thursday and Friday. Uh, today we'll be talking uh, with members of the Senate. We have Senate Minority Leader Melissa Wintrow, District 19, in with us coming up at about 8.35. And then Senate Assistant Majority Leader Abby Lee of District 9 in Fruitland mm-hmm. uh, will also be with us uh, coming up this I, morning at about 8.45. I looked at their committee assignments, and uh, the two of them are on all the same committees. Interesting. Well, see, the, we'll be able to get uh, contracting viewpoints yeah, from both of them, because I'm guessing they probably don't agree on a lot. Well, probably not fundamentally, but I'm sure I'm sure they can you know get together and run the state. Okay. In addition to that, I don't know what it is about the farm boys out of uh, Payette area, Fruitland area, um, but man, they seem to produce some of the uh, best athletes in the states over uh, a time in history. On a a farm, you start driving a lot earlier than most kids. Well, yeah, uh, that may be true, and. we have Stingray Rob. I gotta find out. Is that his real first name, Stingray? Because if it is, his mom must have hated him. Maybe his first name is Sting and his middle name is Ray. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, Stingray he could have been Rob of the police. You never know. Is going to be on with us uh, this morning. We're going to talk with him. Uh, he is going to be the newest member of a very, very small fraternity of professional drivers. And we're talking about the top echelon of drivers in the world. IndyCar racing, he is the uh, final member to be added to the Indy racing circuit this year, which totals 36 drivers. That's it. 36 in the world are IndyCar drivers, and he's 21 years old. He officially will be racing Indy this year. Um, the Indy, uh, I think, uh, racing season gets underway here in a couple of weeks in uh, Florida. But he'll also be a part of the Indianapolis 500, which a lot of us watch. I feel like a guy that I talked to years ago. Now, the Indy 500, how many miles is that? <laughs> uh, it's 500. Oh, wow. What a coincidence. Um, so coming up this morning, that's coming up a little bit after 7 o'clock. Uh, we will talk to uh, him on the way this morning. Uh, other things that we will be talking about. Search warrants for accused Idaho killer Brian Koberger's home were unsealed yesterday. So we had we'd already seen the uh, affidavit and the reason why they had put out an arrest warrant. Yesterday, search warrants were released and unsealed to the public. We'll talk about that. So that means we know what they had on him before they searched the house. Right? Well, uh, not specifically. We know what they came up with when they searched his home in, in, oh. in Pullman. Um, we don't specifically know what those things say, but there are some very, what could be possibly damning evidence, like blood spots yeah, found on bedding and clothing. Yeah, that uh, <clears throat> seems rather telling, doesn't it? So, I mean, as we don't know whose blood it is as of yet. But we'll talk more about that uh, coming up here for you this morning. Um, they're still looking for the murder weapon that was not found as of yesterday i know the prosecution would love to have the murder weapon well that yeah that probably would help and Especially if it turned out it, you know he owned it uh, another thing we'll talk about this morning give you uh information on this uh an idaho doctor who has uh, been on our show before who's been on nate shellman's show before who's been on uh numerous podcasts um, is being charged with violations in care related to the COVID-19 virus. 
Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people know who we're talking about. But we'll get more information coming up on that also this morning. Our phone lines are open at 208-336-3700. If you want to weigh in, pound 670. If you have a Verizon wireless phone, you can also email Chris at KBOI.com and Mike at KBOI.com as we get underway with what is going to turn out to be a very busy day. Let's get our first check on what's going on with sports. Once again this morning, it's brought to you by Pork Belly and CUNA, the place to go. You want to get your day started off uh, with a great, delicious breakfast or have yourself lunch. Get in today. They open up in 45 minutes. Good morning. Most of us were surprised when Boise State quarterback Hank Bachmeyer, who had been starting for three seasons prior to transferring in the middle of the season. Well, the former Boise State quarterback went into the transfer portal, and now we know where he's going to be playing. Bachmeyer is transferred to Louisiana Tech, that according to ESPN, and then verified by Jay Tust with KTVB. Bachmeyer, one of the highest-rated recruits in Boise State school history, arrived with the Broncos back in January 2019 and immediately won the starting job. And in his first game as a starter, led the Broncos to one of the program's biggest comeback wins ever over a Power 5 opponent. You remember that? That was Florida State University back in the day. His career with Boise State came to an abrupt end in September after he started the first four games of the season. He entered the transfer portal just days after the Broncos' offensive coordinator, Tim Plough, was fired. And, of course, that big loss that they had earlier in the year to Texas El Paso. Hank Bachmeyer, now we know he's headed to Louisiana Tech. Really? I'm Rick Worthington. The night at 10, it's Michael Knowles. Now back to Mike Casper and Chris Walton. This is Casper and Chris, live and local on News Talk KBOI. 623, good morning. Thanks for listening in. Uh, once again, we'll keep you updated on uh, traffic problems throughout the morning about every 10 minutes. Give you a traffic update here with the uh, snow coming down very slick in some places, especially once you get off the uh, freeway this morning. Just uh, keep it locked in throughout the morning, and we'll be keeping you updated. Story uh, that Rick talked about in sports very strange to me to see Hank Bachmeyer signing with uh, La Tech. And I, I say it's only it's strange because of some of the things that um, his dad had shared on, on Twitter since he quit playing for the Boise State Broncos and entered the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I get it. If he wanted to continue to have two more years of eligibility, he needed to quit the game that where he did quit if he was going to leave. So, I mean, I, I get that point of it. However, who knows what the future holds, but sitting here playing for Louisiana Tech hadn't can't be what he had planned when he left the portal after being a starter at Boise State for four years. In, in Ruston, Louisiana? Yeah. And that's not a slam against Louisiana Tech. It's just not, I mean, it's, in my opinion, a league lower than what Boise State, well, definitely mine. lower than what Boise State plays in. But officially the same. The um, interesting part of the thing is the uh, tweets from his dad said, you know, right after he left Boise State, getting a lot of interest from Cal, Oregon State, and Stanford. And then on sounds, day, be- day before like yesterday. wanted him to be on the West Coast. Day before yesterday, uh, the news was on ESPN that he was signing with FAU, Florida Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And then one day later, the announcement comes that he has signed with Louisiana, Louisiana Tech. Tech. Like I said, I, I don't think with... And, and we've talked about this before. There's less than, I think, 
20% of the people that enter the transfer portal in all sports that end up playing f- whatever sport it is at mm-hmm. an- another college. That, yeah. I mean, well, they less just, than they 20% see, percent right, get they, a scholarship they, offered to play at another college. They go in and, and see what the uh, interest is. A lot of times they play at other colleges, but not on scholarship. Not on scholarship, right. where they currently have a scholarship. Uh, that brings me to this point, too. The NCAA has made uh, a massive transfer portal rule change going forward. Because I think um, people were frustrated, especially in places where somebody would transfer, they would come in, play a year, and then transfer again. And they're like, what? why did he even transfer if he was just going to play for one year here? So they've closed that loophole. Because right now, you can transfer and play immediately the following year. It's not mm-hmm. like it used to be where you had to sit right. out an entire year and lose one year of eligibility. Right. Um, they've, ch- they've closed the loophole. You're still allowed to transfer once. But that's it. But that's it. Mm. If you transfer again, then you it's like the old rules where you lose one year of eligibility and you have to sit out a year. And there would be. There would be guys who, who believe they should be starting. Who, yeah. Uh, they didn't start as a freshman, so they transferred. They didn't start as a sophomore, so they transferred. They didn't start as a junior. They just keep transferring until they find some place that will actually play them. Now, the uh, NCAA said they will also consider exigent circumstances like sexual assault or abuse that the NCAA will not consider academic circumstances or athletic reasons such as not getting enough playing time. Which is what I just said, yeah. Exactly. Uh, the academic reason, well, that you, you you flunk out of one college and have to go to another one? Is that uh, Maybe. Yeah? I don't know. Mm. Who, who knows? Um, but I, I think that's a good rule change so that you don't see someone playing for four different colleges during their yeah. you know, playing time in college uh one thing we're not gonna have time to talk about this this morning but this is absolutely crazy and i don't know what they're going to do about the name image and likeness thing going on because it is changing the landscape of college football right before our eyes and when you start to see stories like this florida gators quarterback recruit Jaden rashada was one of the most recruited players in the nation this year um he has requested a release from his national letter of intent indicating that uh 13 million dollar name, image, and likeness deal fell apart, and that was the catalyst for his decision wanting to leave Florida State. So apparently he thinks he can get paid $13 million from somebody else. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, more power to him, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, more power. I mean, I, I, I get it, but wow. You get promised $13 million, you sign, and then it's going to be interesting to see if the NCAA lets him out of his his contract or if his recruiting well that's not an academic or a football reason that's no. a, that's a financial well reason. and i mean also he's he's signed a contract however if it is true that the 13 million dollars wasn't there here's the thing you can't sign somebody based on paying them now you can get a name image and likeness contract once you get at the university but you can't sign and somebody yeah, and say we're going to give you 13 million dollars if you sign here. Yeah, true. You, you can't say okay, you're going to play for Alabama and uh, you're going to yeah. get this contract and if the contract falls through you don't have to play for Alabama. They yeah. they, they don't work it that way. Million here, million there. Pretty soon you're talking about real money. Who knew? Remember, if you missed any part of Casper and Chris this morning, check out their podcast on the KBOI app or on KBOI.com. Now back to Mike Casper and Chris Walton. This is Casper and Chris, live and local on News Talk KBOI. 6.42, Chad and uh, Lori Vallow-Daybill will be in court coming up later this morning. Prosecutors in the murder case 
say that Lori Vallow and her husband Chad Dibble say that they have sufficient evidence to prove that the death penalty is warranted, calling the facts in the case egregious and heinous. Lori Vallow's motion to declare her not death eligible will get that hearing coming up this morning along with a motion asking the court to allow the two defendants to meet face-to-face with their lawyers present to talk about their options. Also up for a hearing today is whether the jury will be sequestered during the trial, which is currently scheduled to begin April 3rd in Ada County. What do you give a scale of 1 to 10? What do you give the chances of the trial starting on April 3rd? Mm, somewhere near 1. <laughs> uh, I'd give it 50-50. Lori yeah, Vowell's... So five, then. Yeah. Uh, okay. Lori Vowell's attorney previously had asked the court to uh, scrap the death penalties. Here's, here's what I find interesting. They're, they're not they're not doing anything that indicates innocence or that, that that they're not guilty because what they're arguing about is after I'm found guilty, you can't sentence me <laughs> yeah. to this. Although you remember, uh, Lori had previously said that she has an alibi. And I, I found it funny because she goes, I, I'm, I'm not going to claim mental incompetency, which you can't do in the state of Idaho, by the way. Uh, Idaho is one of the states where you cannot be found innocent because of mental defect. So, yeah, you can't even be ineligible for office. They, uh, yeah, uh, if and you've seen this already, what two, three times where they said that she was not mentally competent enough to stand trial. Mm-hmm. Well, what they do is they work with you and you see a counselor until you are competent enough to eventually stand trial. Which now she is apparently at that at that point but she says she has an alibi that she wasn't the the kids were killed at her brother's home so she's already thrown her brother under the bus and and she knows and she was and she was out so, of the state and so, wasn't there when they were killed so she knows when the kids were killed and where well she she knows that because they you know and yet the police have said that that's when it happened and, oh i was gonna say, okay i was gonna say if she knew all that ahead of time and then did not report it that's kind of a problem yeah um the hearing on the motion scheduled at 9.30 this morning, Fremont County Courthouse, which is, you know, that's where all the cases have been, court cases have been heard so far. Mm-hmm. The uh, case, the murder trial would be happening in Ada County uh, if it does indeed happen on uh, April 3rd as scheduled. KBY News Time 645, time for another check on sports. It's brought to you by our good friends at Pork Belly and Cuna. Yeah, we've done a couple of hometown breakfasts there. Uh, you can do your own hometown breakfast beginning this morning. And as a matter of fact, they open up in 15 minutes. Want to check out their full menu, see some of the unique items? Check it out, porkbellyidaho.com. You can also follow them on Facebook and get in on some of their daily specials. Good morning. Well, Max Rice scored a career-high 29 points on Tuesday when the Broncos defeated Nevada. And that Bishop Kelly grad here locally is having his best season ever. More from Bob Beeler. Last season, Max Rice was one of Boise State's top subs off the bench and averaged four points a game. This season, he's starting and averaging 13 a game. I asked Max in the postgame show the other night if the teams guard him any differently this season. I think I'm more of the known now. Like They know what they're going to get from me um, and just kind of the sets people run for me. So that, those are the kind of things you got to scout. But, um, I mean, the way I play, I feel like it's kind of tough. If you're going to get up, I'm going to drive. And if you, if you stay back, I'm going to shoot it. If you're playing the right way, it should be a tough, tough scout. It just worked for me tonight, so that was nice. In Mountain West play, Rice is the team's leading scorer with 15 a game, and he's shooting 56 from three. 
Bob Beeler, News Talk KBOI. Now you should pay attention to the game on Friday when Boise State heads to the pit to take on the New Mexico Lobos. New Mexico, one of the best teams in the country. They are 17-2. and They are 12-1 and at home. The Broncos, 15-4 and overall. They are also 3-2 and away from Extra Mile Arena this year. Is there a predictor on who's the uh, front runner for this game? Well, ESPN Analytics says it's a 52% chance that New Mexico wins, most likely because they're the home team. The Broncos are in first place right now and could solidify that with victory over New Mexico on Friday, right here on News Talk KBOI. I'm Rick Worthington. Download the 670 KBOI app for your smartphone for free. Now back to Mike Casper and Chris Walton. This is Casper and Chris, live and local on News Talk KBOI. 659, Casper and Chris, down near Impossible Question, brought to you by Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, Silverhawk Realty. For all your real estate needs, call 208-888-4128. We've got a $50 gift certificate we're giving away to Deja Brew Bistro in downtown Meridian, if you can answer our question. Not now. This will be coming up after 8 o'clock this morning. When John Quincy Adams was president, um, he liked to exercise regularly. What specific thing did he do when he was president for exercise? By the way, I'll give you a hint for those early morning uh, listeners this morning. Mm -hmm. If you did this today, you'd get arrested. Even in the early morning. Even in the early morning. Uh, Specifically, what did he do for exercise when he was the President of the United States. If you know the answer, stick around after 8 o'clock. You can get that $50 gift certificate. Hang on. We've got news coming up here next. After news at the top of the hour, IndyCar Racer. Today from 10 to 1, it's Dan Bongino. Now back to Mike Casper and Chris Walton. This is Casper and Chris, live and local on News Talk KBOI. It is 7.07. He's Chris Walton. I'm Mike Casper. And on the phone line uh, with us, from a place that I'm going to guess he is going to be uh, in the same location coming up Memorial Day weekend, from Payette, Idaho, the newest member of the Indy Car Racing Series, which is a very small fraternity, Stingray Rob, thanks for calling us. Uh, You're in uh, Indianapolis this morning? Yes, I am. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Yesterday, press release came out. Announcing that uh, you have ascended to the very tippy tippy top of the uh, race world, Indy Car Racing. You will be you're the official final member added for the upcoming racing season. Which very small fraternity, as I mentioned, uh, thirty six racers will be uh, racing full time this year, and you are one of them at the ripe old age of twenty one. <laughs> There you have it. Hey, congratulations. It's pretty exciting stuff. Congratulations. Uh, The first thing I want to start off with here, because um, in doing this, I'm I'm sure this is going to be a thing that you're going to be answering many, many times. Is Stingray your real name? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Stingray is my real name. And the short story is that my parents were big Corvette fans. So I went down and determined to be a race car driver. And here we are, you know, 21 years later, driving race cars. 
I guess you know, my name was probably almost Nash Rambler then. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, you and I um, share mutual friends, and that's how I was able to set up this interview. And a few years ago, like three or four years ago, he, he told me about you and your racing exploits at that time when you were a teenager. And he said, hey, keep an eye on this guy. This guy's you know, probably going to be racing indie cars one day. And, and I have to admit, and I apologize now, Scott, I'm sure he's listening this morning. Um, <laughs> I, I said, yeah, sure, whatever. And here it is just three or four years later, and, and sure enough, you are doing it. But I, I have to say, you, you have always had a, a lead foot, right? Because you've been racing since you were how old? I started go-karting when I was five years old. And even before that, I had a passion for racing. I mean, I was going to the drag races and autocross events with my parents and their Corvettes. And uh, I always wanted to go faster. I used to sit in the back seat of my mom's car when she was taking me to school. And I always go, faster, faster, faster. <laughs> So you I've once, always had a, had that need for the speed. You you once drove the uh, the big Idaho potato truck. How do you get a job like that? Well, here's the deal. I actually didn't drive the potato truck. As much people have seen that it looked like I got pulled over by the California State Police. Um, but that was that was just a fun thing that we got to do with them oh. down in uh, Laguna Seca for the race. But um, I did get to sit in the driver's seat. But the the driver, Melissa, she held onto the keys because she knew I'd want to take it for a spin. <laughs> um, is there any Are you pinching yourself today, or is, is this something you expected? I, I know you probably, your goal was to get there eventually, but did you think at 21 years of age that you would be one of 36 Indy car racers here in the, in the U.S.? You know, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, six months ago, if you were to ask me that question, I would say, no, probably not. Probably not going to make it to Indy car. And, you know, leaving the last race of the season in 2022, we didn't know what I was going to be doing. And we had to take a leap of faith, myself and the team around me. And it takes a village to get to, the, to this level. And, you know, at this point, I think that it's, it's a natural progression. And I think that it's just because of all the work that's been put in. Um, you know, it's not an easy thing to be one of 27 full-time drivers in IndyCar racing, especially just a small-town kid from Payette, Idaho. So. <laughs> Um, it's pretty cool to, you know, look back at the journey that we've been on, and I'm so thankful for what uh, God has done in my life for opening and closing doors where I need. And, you know, we definitely saw it this off season. You know, there's there's a lot that goes into making a race car uh, go fast around a racetrack, but even more so off the track, making it happen, get a driver into the seat. So um, there's there's been a busy off season, and I'm excited to get back into the racing season at St. Petersburg. Where have you been driving the last few years? So I've been in the Indy Light Series, which is now called the Indy Next NXT, um, which is the, the ladder system to Indy cars. It's a lot like baseball or football or basketball, whatever else. You have the single A, double A, triple A majors. And as you progress, you work your way up through those different steps. And so the Indy NXT Series is that triple A ladder. And so it's essentially a, a farm series for drivers to make that step up into Indy car. And they, they work on off track, on track, and it's it's all connected. We're all racing on the same weekend as the Indy car series and so the last two years i'd been there um and then previously in the 2022 season i finished second in the championship and so that gave me a good enough chance to to step up into indycar who uh is the uh, race team that you're going to be racing for this year so the team that i'm going to be driving for is dale coin racing with rick ware racing um so it's a bit of a a co-op team there but uh dale coin will be the one running and engineering the car how did you get uh, hooked up with them originally? It's kind of a funny story. You know, I was, uh, I was actually in the gym um, training here in Indianapolis, and it's where a lot of other drivers go, and I was talking to a driver, 
and it was someone that I'd been racing with and I thought that he had the seat and uh, I ended up talking. He's like, no, nah, I don't know what I'm doing next year. I said, wait, you don't know what you're doing next year. And he <laughs> called my mom immediately like, mom, we need to get on this now. Um, and so we'd actually been talking to a couple other teams and then called Dale Coyne and he's like, oh, I didn't know you guys were available. Uh, when would you like to do a test? And a test is essentially a, a day where they put me in the car and see what I'm made of. And so I got to put my, my butt in the seat finally on January 4th in Sebring, Florida. And that was a really, really good day. We had really good results there. The team was happy. So here we are, not too much later, uh, signed with the team. When uh, does the uh, Indy racing season begin for you? So the first race of the year will be the beginning of March in St. Petersburg, Florida. And before that, we're going to be down in Palm Springs um, for the series kickoff test. So all the teams will gather there. It's a, a big practice day, essentially, um, down at the Thermal Club. And so that'll be in the beginning of February. And then, like I said, first race, beginning of March. Now, the St. Petersburg race, that's, they close down all the streets and you race on the uh, streets of St. Petersburg, correct? That is correct, and that's that's the cool thing about IndyCar racing is that we don't just just turn left all the time. You know, we have the <laughs> Indy 500, which is one of the most exciting races or probably events in the world. I mean, we're doing speeds of 240 miles an hour, um, averaging over 220. Um, so that's that's obviously a left-hand dominant track. But you know, we got St. Petersburg, we have Long Beach, we got Toronto. Those are all in the downtown streets. So we're running over manhole covers. We're running through traffic um, <laughs> stops, you know, where other people are usually, you know, jumping the crosswalk or whatever. We have to do that at speed. Um, so now it, it makes it more exciting that I'm in an Indy car because the cars are just so much better built. You know, I've been doing that in the Indy Light series, and it, uh, it puts a beating on you. So I'm excited to see what it's like in an Indy car doing the faster speeds around the, the downtown streets there. You won last year at uh, Monterey. Uh, what kind of a day was that? Oh man, that was a day. <laughs> that was uh, so Monterey is one of my favorite tracks in the world, just because it's a legendary track. You have the the corkscrew; it's like a three story drop from the top of the turn to the bottom of the turn, <laughs> and you're doing it at speeds that are totally unreasonable and cars that shouldn't be able to do this. Um, but it, that's what makes it so exciting. And to win there, I think that the the final stat was that it was the largest margin of victory for the season and the largest margin of victory at that track ever. Um, at least in the Indy Life series. Wow. So that was a very exciting day. I was very happy to check that off the list. Um, just before we let you go here today, you know, you you are a rookie. And have you talked to other drivers to help you prepare uh, as to the learning curve for a rookie in IndyCar racing? I have a little bit, yes. And, I mean, that's, that's the, the glorious thing about doing the ladder system is that they do prepare you as a driver before you show up in IndyCar. It's, they're not taking some guy off the street that's um, maybe got talent and putting you in the seat. you got to prove it. you got to earn your way a little bit. So, um, definitely there are things that are different in IndyCar racing. Pit stops, usually when I was doing a pit stop, it was for uh, other things, for crash damage and whatnot. But now we get to do it because we actually want to. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to adjust to and – I'm sure the team's got their their plans for what they want me to go over in the near future, getting ready for the season. You, do you feel like you've got some big shoes to uh, fill? I mean, the number fifty one that was Sato, right? That is correct. Yeah, he's he's definitely a guy that's been uh, someone in the sport that we would look look up to as up and coming drivers, two time Indy five hundred champion. Um, so I don't know what my rookie season is going to look like, but I I hope that I can hold that number fifty one accountable to what it what it deserves. <laughs> 
Stingray, Rob, uh, I know you're busy today. Thank you very much for taking a few minutes. Good luck this season. I'd uh, love to see you do very, very well. Um, we'll be watching you here in Idaho through the racing series. Of course, uh, Indy 500 Memorial Day weekend is uh, always, you know, a lot of eyes on that. But I, here in Idaho, there's going to be a lot more eyes this year. But appreciate you um, taking some time with us this morning, and good luck this year. No, thank you, guys. We appreciate it, and we're looking forward to a good year. Stingray, Rob. Newest member of the Indy Car Racing Association getting underway, as you heard there, first part of March. I don't know what it is about the farm boys from the Payette, Idaho area. Harmon Killebrew, you had Jordan Gross from Fruitland, and uh, now Stingray Rob. Some of the uh, top athletes seem to come out of that area so for some reason. Could be the water, huh? Maybe. Right. Maybe. KBOI News Time, 717. Time for the Morning Market Report. Powered by CapEd Credit Union. Keeping you informed about your money before the market opens. Sponsored by Tree City Advisors. On News Talk, KBOI, Boise. 723, Jeremiah Bates with us. We're going to have Jeremiah here for a little extra time this morning because we have a lot to uh, us out. The Dow Futures are down 228 points. Uh, We're going to have him stick around and talk about the debt ceiling, which we're expected to hit today at uh, $31.838 so about $31.4 trillion. Uh, We'll talk about what that means for you and I, average Joe American. Before we get to that, though, we're headed into uh, day number three of uh, market sell-off. A lot of today uh, might have to do with U.S. jobless claims coming in this morning. Yeah, it's it's kind of in line of good news is bad news. So jobless claims came at their lowest level since September, much lower than what was anticipated for the week ending in January 14th. So bottom line is this data just indicates that the labor market as, is still strong, which is a bit of which poses a bit of a problem for the Federal Reserve because Jerome Powell has stated that one of the biggest issues that they're seeing is wage inflation. So if we still see a strong market, then the uh, I guess the the resulting effect of that would be wages are still strong, which means prices are still high, which means we still have this inflation bogey, which means the Federal Reserve needs to continue to tighten. Now, the thing with the, this weekly jobless claim is it's it's you know, this data is volatile and it's hard, pretty difficult to seasonally adjust this, especially around the holidays. So, you know, we, we got to continue to see that. I mean, you're seeing a, obviously a lot of headlines of these well-known, notable technology companies, whether it's Amazon, um, you know, implementing big layoffs, right? I think they just came out and said that they're going to do 10,000 10, employee layoffs. Yeah, Microsoft doing a big layoff as well. But you know these large technology companies again just make up such a small percentage. So this uh, this job this job number has a portion to do with it, at least with what we're seeing in futures market today. And you know it's just it's volatility. We've seen a good run thus far this year, but I, you know there's going to be two two sides of this coin in my opinion. We're going to have some big up days, some big up weeks, but on the flip side, we're also going to see some big down days, probably some big down weeks. Because the the narrative or the market concerns that were hovering around for 2022, those are still concerns for the first half of 2023 to include a Federal Reserve that will over tighten and likely and and perhaps maybe drive us into a recession. Again, we don't know. We're too close to call yet, but the market's certainly uh, uh, showing those fears yesterday and today. You mentioned the big tech companies and uh, the fact that they're laying off thousands of people. Uh, but the one that seems to not be doing that is Apple. Are they just doing better than everyone else? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough tough to call. I mean, you got to look at Apple's main main business, main driver. You know, they're they're a bit more, I guess, well diversified. If if you could put if you could use that uh, that title on it, where they're developing computers, they're developing, they have iPhones. You know, where if you look at Amazon, I mean, they're they're strictly, I mean, kind of advertising and reliant on you know people spending money through their platform. So you know, if Apple, they just could be a better in a better position. Maybe they see the the long term or near to midterm being a little bit more. More favorable around demand, right. so maybe that's why they're not implementing such layoffs. But for Amazon and Microsoft, from my understanding, they were laying off a lot of the kind of the middle management piece, not necessarily the actual um, you know developers and things like that. So, All right, but yeah, Apple's still strong. Need to take a break. Hang right where you're at. We are going to talk about the debt ceiling, uh, what it really means, uh, how serious can it get, and wh- how it affects you and I when we come back after news at the bottom of the hour. Get 670 KBOI on Alexa. First say, Alexa, enable the 670 KBOI skill. Then when you want to listen, say, Alexa, open 670 KBOI. Now back to Mike Casper and Chris Walton. This is Casper and Chris, live and local on News Talk KBOI. January 19th is the day the Treasury forecasts the country hits its $31.4 trillion debt ceiling. And Congress is in a standoff over its next steps. Republicans are calling for spending cuts, while Democrats and the White House are pushing for a debt ceiling increase with no conditions. Without that increase, the Treasury cautions it will turn to extraordinary measures, such as cutting payments to some government employee retirement funds, buying time for just a matter of months. Justin Finch, ABC News, Washington. Jeremiah Bates sticking around with us a little uh, bit longer because today is the 19th. So we reached that uh, debt ceiling a little bit later today. That's a lot of doom and gloom in that report. What exactly for you, me, Chris, Nathaniel, what does this actually mean for us? Is it that much doom and gloom? Well, we're kind of speculating here with a lot of coulds, maybes, and mites, which has always been the case with this type of political brinksmanship and using the debt ceiling as a political bargaining ship to an extent. Now, you certainly uh, can't disagree with the fact that we're talking about a trillion of ever, of anything and put a three, eight point, what, four in front of that. It's, you can't even fathom that. If you're looking in the, in the term of seconds, a million seconds is 11 and a half days. A billion seconds is about 32 years. A trillion seconds is 32,000 years. So it's just, it's such a high number. It's like, is this thing even real? So the debt ceiling in and of itself is just a legal restriction on how much money the federal government can borrow to pay its bills. Now, what are the obligations of the federal government that it needs to fulfill? Well, you have a lot of items. You have Social Security. You have Medicare. You have pensions you have salaries for federal workers and members of the military so i mean let's put it this way if the government did de- if it didn't raise it and we it did we didn't end up running in the defaults that would be terrible that would not be a good thing that would lo- that would put a uh, basically you would lose investor confidence and you would spur a deep sell off in us treasuries and it would just turn into broader about financial chaos horrible just for us we're talking about the entire world correct oh yeah oh yeah no of course cuz you got to listen when you're looking at us treasuries especially in the financial advising world you cannot say the word guarantee but debt issued by the us government i mean it's looked at as almost guaranteed it's one of the safest investments that you could look at and it's one of the reasons why we saw the U.S. dollar rise so much, especially last year, because it's still the U.S. dollar is still the flight to safety because it's guaranteed by the taxpayers of the United States. But if there's any indication, we saw this, I think, back in 2011, 
where we saw a bit of a standoff, and we actually saw um, S and P they they drop the rating of U.S. debt. So and, and that and that wasn't a good thing. So if if the U.S. if the U.S. government misses its payments on its obligations, it's going to cause significant economic pain. Now the question is, will we get there? Now we, this has become pretty routine since 1960. Congress has had to intervene about 78 times around this debt limit. Now, should the debt limit be increased? Should, should we put a pause on the debt limit, which I think will likely happen? Will this time be different? Maybe. you got a large portion of GOP lawmakers. They they seem to have a willingness to, to allow the country to almost default and you know, they're also on the sta- on the side of, hey, they want spending cuts, and Biden seems unlikely to enact those types of spending cuts. So could this be different? Maybe. I, I do think, I mean, if you look at history, it- it's been pretty routine that there is some type of resolution that's that's met, and that's usually in the form of kicking the can down the road. <laughs> but uh, what? But to go back to your initial question, what, it would, what would it mean for the average person? It, it would be bad. Let's put it that way. So right now, the U.S. Treasury, especially Janet Yellen, they're talking about these extraordinary measures of what they would need to take. So essentially what they would do is kind of prioritize of where these dollars were being spent, right? So uh, general consensus is Social Security benefits would continue to pay out. You'd have these social these social safety nets continue to pay out. But then after those big ticket items are set aside, it's kind of a coin flip of, yeah. of who's actually going to get paid, right. especially for salaries for federal workers. So likelihood, I think, is pretty low, but um, it, it's just kind of this, this political game that we're seeing. It's just unfortunate. All right. We'll uh, revisit this in uh, June uh, when we officially <laughs> do default if they can't come to an agreement. Uh, thanks for explaining that a little bit this morning. Uh, we'll keep an update on uh, here at the stock market in just about 45 minutes. Talk to you again tomorrow morning. Thanks, gents. Ben Shapiro this afternoon at 1. Now back to Mike Casper and Chris Walton. This is Casper and Chris, live and local on News Talk KBOI. 7.51. Man, it has uh, been a very busy morning. Thanks for listening in, especially those of you who have been stuck in traffic and uh, taking a little extra time getting to work because of road conditions this morning. Remember, our phone lines are open if you want to partake in the show. 208-336-3700, pound 670 on your Verizon wireless. You can email chris at kboi.com or mike at kboi.com. Text us also, same as our main number. I don't know why this particular thing is not a bigger story. The Department of Defense has neglected to address its inability to keep track of at least $220 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars in equipment provided to the government contractors. That's according to a report by the Government Accountability Office. The auditors first reported the Pentagon's failure to account for government-owned equipment or a material offered up for use to contracting agencies, also called government-furnished property, all the way back in 2001. The Pentagon has failed its fifth audit in a row, this was back in November, since formally beginning the practice in 2018. Contractors could not prove expenditures for 61% of the Pentagon's $3.5 trillion in assets. Wow. If they have accountants, that's probably driving them crazy. If they have accountants, why do those accountants still have jobs? <laughs> I because they're in the military, more than likely. Unless they're civilian accountants. I, I, 
I mean, the headline here is the, for want of a better term, the military-industrial complex is spending more money than is necessary. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people would probably go with that, but it's crazy that even if you were spending more money than necessary, why can't you keep track of the money (laughs) and where it's going? Um, Pentagon. If If you kept track of it, you wouldn't be able to spend as much. Pentagon Comptroller Mike McCord uh, said that I would not say that we uh, flunked. The process is important to us to do, and it's making us get better. It's not making us get better as fast as we want. I'm sorry, if you lose $220 billion in equipment, you flunked. If 61%... Yeah, what, do you, what do you do? You stand up and go, my bad. I, that, that, that's the only reason I, I, I think pay, this isn't a bigger story. I will pay back every cent of that $220 billion if it's the last thing I do. Like I said, 61% of the Pentagon's $3.5 trillion in assets are missing. <laughs> they can't prove where it went. You know, we're talking about the debt ceiling and how much money needs that's to like be saying, cut back on. That's like saying, I'm very wealthy, I just don't know where my money is. Or if I'll ever have it again. Find that money and put that into our debt ceiling and you wouldn't even have an argument probably between the uh, Democrats, Republicans, and Joe Biden. Because you wouldn't have to say, hey, we need to cut spending. How about we just find that 61% from the uh, Pentagon's $3.5 trillion budget that we don't know where it went to and, and put that back into uh, every little bit helps paying off the debt. I mean, just, wow. Now, granted, I don't work for the military. I'm not good at math. Apparently, neither are they, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> get a job with the government i mean you would think hey look this guy is awesome i I realize i'm applying for the job of accountant but i'm not good at math you're hired (laughs) the the previous guys uh lost 220 billion dollars worth of equipment you only lost 200 billion you're you're a genius you're a freaking genius Mm -hmm. 208-336-3700, pound 670. Here's your, your bonus. <laughs> Verizon Wireless. Uh, speaking of freaking geniuses, the legislature is uh, back in town, and uh, they've been back meeting for the last couple of weeks. And we here at News Talk KBOI like to keep our fingers on the pulse of the legislature to help you keep your fingers on the pulse of what's going on in the legislature. And with that in mind, every Thursday and Friday, we talk to those lawmakers, and uh, we will be doing that starting today. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. we'll have members of the uh, Senate coming in here uh, next hour. And we'll talk to uh, the Democratic side and the Republican side. And we do that every Thursday and Friday. Tomorrow we'll be talking to House Republicans and uh, Democrats on the way. So stick around for that. That'll be uh, coming up here at about 835 this morning. Listen to KBOI online. Go to KBOI.com and click the Listen Live button. Now back to Mike Casper and Chris Walton. This is Casper and Chris, live and local on News Talk KBOI. Text message uh, in at 208-336-3700 talking about the military losing uh, equipment. says, keep in mind, the military only maintains accountability on equipment $2,000 and above. So the amount lost does not count for anything below that $2,000 threshold. Well, this makes us even more crazy. We'll talk a little bit more about this after news at the top of the hour. Also on the way, coming up in about 20 minutes, we got the Casper and Chris damn near impossible question brought to you by Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, Silverhawk Realty, a global or a local company with a global network. It's become more and more of a buyer's market. Want to get sellers to help you get into your new home in 2023? Berkshire Hathaway can show you how that can happen. But all you have to do is make that one phone call, 
28. Our question today, we've got a $50 gift certificate. Deja Brew Bistro in downtown uh, Meridian, if you can answer this question. When John Quincy Adams was president, he liked to exercise regularly every morning. What specific thing did he do for exercise when he was president? By the way, I'm giving you a hint here. If you did this exercise today, you would be arrested for it. This was in the days before cameras. Even the president of the United States would be in trouble for uh, doing this for an exercise. If you know what it is, stick around. You can win in 20 minutes. Drive home live and local with Nate Shellman this afternoon at 3. Now back to Mike Casper and Chris Walton. This is Casper and Chris, live and local on News Talk, KBOI. 807-208-336-3700 pounds, 670 on your Verizon Wireless. Uh, talking before news there at the uh, top of the hour about the Pentagon losing track of about uh, $220 billion in uh, equipment. Um, it's interesting because we had uh, received the... Uh, text message in uh, reminding us to keep in mind the military only maintains accountability on equipment valued at $2,000 and above so the amount lost does not account for anything below the threshold of that $2,000 so it could be uh, much higher than that a uh, total of 7.2 trillion in assets and liabilities for 2022 included high value weapons and equipment 2.9 million personnel 643 uh, 643,900 physical assets, act, assets, that's according to uh, military.com. I hope they didn't lose the uh, 2.9 million personnel. <laughs> uh, Brenda, Nampa, thanks for being patient. You're on News Talk KBY. Good morning to you. Good morning. I find it ironic. So this is assets that are not accountable from contractors, but active duty military or any um, of the actual armed forces, if there is, when they change commands, they have to do inventories, and if there's equipment missing, they do an, uh, a report, a survey, and then whoever had signed for that equipment, if it's not accounted for, they are financially liable for it. So hmm. the contractor should be financially liable for all the stuff that they're missing. I would agree with you. I mean, this is... To me, and I just, that trillions of dollars could pay off the debt. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, if this was a one-time thing, it's like all right, somebody may have dropped a zero someplace. But yeah. the but but the Pentagon has failed five audits in a row. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's that's my money. Yep, that's your money. Hey, I I grew up in the military. I grew up in the military, and I was married to the military. And the so I don't understand. I mean, they are really diligent. You know, when I was around, it was always very diligent. So why aren't the contractors held to the same standards? I don't have an answer for that. That's a good question, though. Yeah, I know. it's a great yep. it's a great yes. question. And I don't understand. Like I said, I don't understand why this isn't a much bigger story. Granted, we you know we have a lot of stuff going on right now. We we have documents. You know that are classified that are being stored in garages with Corvettes. Uh, so that's a big story. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and that's the thing is any other Joe Schmo um, federal employee with any kind of security clearance, if you um, don't maintain that um, classified documents properly, you lose your job. Yeah, you lose your job, and like you said, which I didn't know. Thanks for sharing that. That 
you're personally responsible if you've signed for something and all of a sudden you've lost track of that. That's right. So somebody uh, owes us all a check for $220 billion. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I bet yeah. it will bounce. Thank you, Brenda. I appreciate the call. It's good information. Okay, have a good day. Wow. Um, here's, a, here's another thing. and I would love to get your thoughts on this. Former Russian President Dmitry Medvedev, an ally of Kremlin chief Vladimir Putin, warned NATO yesterday that the defeat of Russia in Ukraine would trigger, would trigger a nuclear war. Oh, great. Medvedev so, has repeatedly... Does, does, does that mean we have to root for Russia? That's, that's just it. It's like, what kind of threat is this? You know, is it a real threat? I mean, Medvedev has repeatedly raised the threat of nuclear apocalypse, but his admission now of the possibility of Russia's defeat indicating the level of Moscow's concern over Western weapons deliveries, which we've been doing for over a year to the Ukraine. If Russia's defeated, it doesn't even it doesn't even hurt Russia. All they have to do is retreat and go back home. Go back to where everything was it's two not, years it's ago. It's not like Ukraine is going to take over Mos- Moscow. I mean, how do you how do you treat that? I mean. You've got Russia and the United States, who are by far the largest nuclear powers. We control about 90% between the two of us of the world's nuclear warheads. I hope we control them, yeah. Uh, Putin in Russia is the ultimate decision maker of use of nuclear weapons. He has the final say. I mean, is this an idle threat? You would hope it's an idle threat because, you know, Europe, who doesn't have, you know, very little nuclear weapons throughout Europe... They're they're the ones that would run the risk of the nuclear fallout and and problems. I mean, of course, granted, it would probably Ukraine would be really big uh, when it comes to that problem. But I mean, when you're sitting there looking at that and and he's warning NATO, so what do you do? It's like okay, mm-hmm. do we start helping Russia now he's to make warning, sure that he doesn't drop nuclear bombs? He's warning NATO. He has access to nuclear weapons. He is now threatening to use them. I mean, what do you do? Stand up and go. He's bluffing. Call him on it. Yeah. I mean... That could turn out poorly. That could turn out poorly. I mean, you're, this, is, this is the proverbial rock in a hard place, right? It's like, do we continue helping? And, and, I mean, how awesome is it be if Ukraine defeats Russia and we go back to what it was supposed to be, you know, two years ago before they invaded Russia? With the exception of now Putin, does he drop a nuclear bomb? Does he not drop a nuclear bomb? Good grief. Is it a threat? Is it a real threat or idle threat? I mean, that's been the big fear uh, of a lot of people is that he gets so frustrated and he, and he might be so, you know, off his rocker crazy that he goes, ah, screw it. If I, if I don't get my way, nobody gets their way. And that's how real wars well, get I mean, started. And you got to keep a real eye on an, that. An honest narcissist would believe that way. 208 336 3700 pound 670 on your Verizon wireless. Don't go away when we come back. We have a $50 gift certificate to Deja Brew Bistro in downtown Meridian with our Casper and Chris. Damn near impossible question. We'll get to that right after Bronco Sports today. For your Google Play, simply say, Hey Google, play 670 KBOI. Now back to Mike Casper and Chris Walton. This is Casper and Chris, live and local on News Talk KBOI. 823, Jesse with us this morning to get the first crack at our Casper and Chris Damn Near Impossible Question brought to you by Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Silverhawk Realty, 208-888-4128 for all your real estate needs. Jesse, uh, when John Quincy Adams was president, uh, he liked to regular exercise regularly. 
He had a, a unique exercise regime, though. Uh, what specific thing did he do for exercise that would get him arrested today? Well, it was swimming, but specifically in the Potomac River nude. Swimming nude, nude in the Potomac River is exactly right. Uh, every morning at 5 a.m. Now, granted, that's early in the morning, but I'm sure there are people, other people up at 5 o'clock going, look, Eventually, I'm president's sure naked. Up. We haven't seen that since Bill Clinton. Oh, no, never mind. Hey, congratulations, Jesse. You've got yourself a $50 you. gift certificate to Deja Brew. Hang on the line. Don't forget, Deja Brew is uh, also available as one of our sweet deals. There's a few left if you want to get online. KBOI.com. There are other uh, deals available. Go to KBOI.com. Click on the sweet deal link. That's also something you want to do coming up tomorrow morning. Uh, Costa Vida and Blaze Pizza. A double shot of sweet deals will be coming your way coming up tomorrow morning, beginning at 9 o'clock. You can get either or both of those deals if you're fast enough, because both of them in the past have sold out very quickly. Uh, go for the one you really want, and then come back around if you want to get both of them. And the gift certificates are good for any of the locations anywhere here in the Treasure Valley. But once again, those go on sale tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. KBOI.com. Click on the sweet deal link. We'll take a break. It is uh, 8.25. We've got news coming up the bottom of the hour. And when we come back, our first chance this year to talk to some of the lawmakers in the Idaho legislature, which got underway uh, about 10 days ago. Uh, we'll talk to the Senate today. On the way for you this morning, we've got a couple of senators. Democrat will be uh, first up. Senate Minority Leader Melissa Wintrobe, District 19 in Boise, will be with us coming up at about 8.35. And then at about 8.45, Senate Assistant Majority Leader Abby Lee of District 9 in Fruitland will be with us. That's on the way here on News Talk KBOI. 670 KBOI covers the Idaho legislature, all of the issues, all of the debates. Today, we have Idaho State Senators joining Casper and Chris on 670 KBOI. 837, he's Chris Walton. I'm Mike Casper. And on the phone line with us once again this morning, Senate Minority Leader Melissa Wintrow, District 19 in uh, Boise. Senator, good to talk to you again. Welcome back for another year. Well, thank you. It's good to be on your show, especially on such a nice snowy day when people are in the traffic and want to hear, you know, a little entertainment. (laughs) I'm glad you're going to view this as entertainment this morning. Uh, I want to to start off today's, uh, what, fourth day, second week of the legislature. Um, Where are we on property taxes? We got that figured out yet? Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I, I got home late last night, and my husband, the first thing out of his mouth was, well, have we done anything on property taxes, education, or transportation? I said, nope. And he said, okay, status quo, and went back to his television show. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, we haven't talked about property taxes yet. We know that is the number one issue that is, you know, across the state that people care about. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, if you look at the bills that have gotten out into the committee and into the public, you know, it's it's you know we're kind of the same old same old. Here we are talking about abortion and firearms and bathrooms instead of you know the things that really matter. I think to most Idahoans, and and I really hope that we can get through this and you know get down to business and help folks. Speaking of firearms, uh, Senator Dan Foreman introduced a bill that uh, I mean, currently Idaho colleges do restrict guns on campus. His bill would yeah. change that. You are against that, correct? Yeah, I think most people are against that. I know that bill was, um, 
you know, when we first had that discussion, I think it was 2014 when it felt like the entire state descended on the Capitol. And that was the first bill to allow for concealed carry on campus. And, and, you know, all the colleges arrived with staff, students, presidents that said this, and chiefs of police and so forth that said, hey, this is not a good idea. You know, a college campus is, you know, a bastion for the exchange of free ideas and debate and learning. And I think that's an important place to make sure people don't feel threatened in that engagement and that exchange. And I think in the context of our culture recently where we're seeing people um, who disagree with each other confront and be kind of violent and so forth, I, I think it's a legitimate concern that we allow you know, local control in our colleges and universities to do what's best for their environments, especially in those places like stadiums and, you know, basketball arenas and theaters where we know people are crowded in there in large numbers and are basically fish in a barrel. So let's let that stay in the control of our universities and what they know, you know, as far as their environments. You know, since we're talking about Senator uh, Foreman, he also has another bill um, that was introduced uh, about who can and can't be in parades in the state of Idaho. Yeah, I, you know, I need to dig deeper into that bill. I think an initial question that was raised to me was, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's something to, um, if, if you're a military procession and you're bearing arms in the military procession, you know, it, it's not, you know, that doesn't strike me as a problem, right? But when people gather with a particular um, ideology and their their T-shirts and their signs and go their ahead, guns. Go ahead, go ahead and say it. You can, you can give you a know, name to it if you want. Well, I mean, we're, I'm concerned about, you know, those groups, those uh, white nationalist groups and Aryan Nation and folks who are racist and showing up at places. We had the terrible scare up north here in the summer at one of the uh, pride parades. And I, d- I just think that... You know, if you're, it's different if you're in a military parade, right? Because you have a chain of command and there's accountability if something goes wrong. Here, it's kind of a free for all, and I, I just don't think it's a good idea. So I, I need to delve more into that. I, I, you know, you just get the bill right in front of you, and you're forced to react immediately. So, you know, I just need to delve more into that as far as. But I think essentially, what we need to do is balance our, our, you know, all of our constitutional rights with our responsibilities to our communities as well and making sure that we're looking out for public safety and each other. Senator Scott Herndon of uh, Segal proposed four different bills. One of those was to uh, remove uh, the um, uh, exceptions for uh, abortion in the state of Idaho. Now, that one didn't make it out of your committee. Why not? Mm. Oh, he had a bill that would basically remove all exceptions for rape and incest in an abortion. Well, you know, honestly, I didn't say in a committee, but I should have. We already have a complete and total abortion ban in our state right now. And uh, if you have been raped or are a victim of incest, it's pretty difficult to get an abortion. I think most people in the state recognize, I mean, there, there are a lot of views on abortion, right, and women's right and autonomy to their own body. I fall on the side that this is a fundamental right, that the government should not be forcing anyone to do something with their body they shouldn't want to do, right? And particularly the most intimate thing is a pregnancy. So, I mean, I think in in this case, when he brought that, uh, I think people were shell-shocked, quite frankly. And some of the comments about, you know, victims of rape, seeing their rape as an opportunity, you know, is really, in in my estimation, a little stomach-turning. I've worked with victims of sexual assault, 
and to think about, you know, some of the comments that were made in such a sterile environment as a committee room when people have gone through one of the most violent physical intrusions into their body, um, you know, we don't have any right to be telling somebody what to do after they have been forced in that way, in a violent way, what they should do. His, and I think that's absolutely a problem. His opinion seemed to be that if you are raped or the victim of incest and you are pregnant, that you should rejoice because there's a child on the way and never mind the circumstances. You know, and I'm okay if an individual makes that decision on their own. It is not the right and role of the government to force that kind of um, attitude or choice on somebody when they're in that moment. And I think if I was a mother and my daughter, 12 years old, 13, 14, was raped, and, you know, I had to deal with the trauma of that young woman uh, and had government was intruding in my life to help her, um, oh, my heavens, I, I don't know what parent would uh, not come out of their skin on that. But like I said, I, I fully respect people's right to their um, beliefs. Um, the problem here is that he's asking the government to enforce an ideology and a religious one of that on the entire population. And I just think that's not that's overstep of government. Um, so, again, respect people's right if they feel that way. And if he felt that way, I do not feel that way. And my government should not impose that upon me in particular this case. Um, we're gonna, uh, one more question I think we have time to uh, get to before we have to let you go today. We're once again talking with Senate Minority mm -hmm. Leader Melissa Wintrow. Um, one of the things, uh, you know, you mentioned, kind of joking as we started into this, you know, we're, we're talking about a few things that are important to voters here in Idaho, but one thing that you guys have to do and must do before you leave uh, signy die for this year is you've got to come up with the way to spend that what four hundred million dollars in education money. Yeah, that's um, what we should be talking about. That, so why I don't understand why isn't it that you have this thing you have to do? You have, as you said, a majority of people in the state want something done with mm -hmm. property taxes. Why is all this other stuff happening right now instead of get that out of the way? And then if you have time, say, all right, let's come back to some of this other dumb stuff. Well, I think, you know, I think as a as a individual constituent, you have to look at, you know, what what does that say about the legislature as a whole and or the individuals that are introducing bills right at the gate, right? So, um, you know, typically the first week or two, you're getting organized and things are slowly, you know, getting started and so forth. But, um, you know, I think it's kind of telling, you know, who is introducing what and why. <laughs> But if it were me, boy, I'd be talking about that that uh, money and getting it into our schools and making sure, you know, our job right now, and I feel really confident about the governor's budget. I really appreciated his budget. Uh, he is infusing money into education. He's investing in our teachers. And he has basically said, hey, we have got a constitutional obligation to public free uniform schools. And the discussion here in this term has been about vouchers. And vouchers are really a way to siphon public money away from our taxpayers into private schools. Now, again, I fully support a parent if they want to send their child to a private school, but we can't do that with taxpayer money. Right. We have created an, a system of accountability with that taxpayer money in our public school system, and we need to invest there. And finally, what I'll say is I met with 15 teachers this week, and I can tell you they, um, they need that raise. 
and uh, the competition for teachers and out of state and people leaving our state. If we want to keep people here, we need to stop worrying about the things that aren't making a difference and think about education, property tax, health care, infrastructure, the things that government ought to be interested in and helping people create opportunities for success. Senator uh, Melissa Wentrow, thanks for taking a couple minutes talking with us this morning. I'm sure we'll talk to you again before the end of the session. Well, thank you. You have a great day. Stay safe out there, everybody. 670 KBOI covers the Idaho legislature, all of the issues, all of the debates. Today, we have Idaho State Senators joining Casper and Chris on 670 KBOI. 853, uh, I'm Mike Casper, he's Chris Walton, and on the phone with us, Senate Assistant Majority Leader Abby Lee, District 9 in uh, Fruitland, Senator Lee, member of the Senate Health and Welfare Committee, Senate Judiciary and uh, Rules Committee, and Senate State Affairs Committee, and uh, you're serving in your fifth term. I want to start things off this morning. Are you seeing any differences this year's in goals and ideology with the senators you're working with, and as a matter of fact, the whole legislature, uh, as compared to other years that you have served? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me this morning. Um, you know, as you've seen, I think we have a significant uh, uh, turnover, if you would call that, in the Senate. So we have a lot of of new senators, 20 new senators. Uh, so even if everybody saw the world the same way, imagine what it is to bring people together and talk about process and protocol and rules and, and just kind of getting to know each other. So that's a little bit of a, a different lift. I've, I've not experienced that before, um, but I will offer that it's actually going really well, which doesn't um, sell papers or get good headlines. <laughs> but um, I think people are, are really trying to, to assume goodwill and, and work together. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of diversity of ideas, and uh, it's, it's kind of an exciting time. What, what do you think should be the, the number one goal of the legislature this year in Idaho? Oh, well, our, our only constitutional requirement is to pass a balanced budget. And so I really, you know, as a former member of the Joint Finance and Appropriation Committee, I, I want to keep us focused on that's what we do is we, um, you know, we, we have to be good stewards of these um, tax dollars. And uh, so I, I'm really hoping that we can remember that's what um, everything else is, is kind of an added bonus if we do anything else. Um, so I'm hoping that we can get um, through some of those spending discussions. And I'm a a big proponent of our investment in education and teachers and uh, particularly uh, the the dollars for CTE and um, high-wage, high-demand jobs. One of the things being talked about, and there's uh, you know millions of dollars, what about $400 million that you and the other legislators get to decide uh, how it is spent on education this year. One of the things that's already being bandied back and forth uh, is school choice. Some are calling it school vouchers. Uh, what, what do you think? Is that, is that something that should be discussed? Uh, how, how good of a chance do you see something school choice being passed in this legislative session? So absolutely. I think we should discuss it. Um, you know, I represent a, a mostly rural district. I have 12 small school districts that I represent. And so um, I'm a Republican, but I'm telling you, we have a constitutional requirement to fund our public schools. Uh, I want our parents to be involved. I, I'm an advocate of, of charter schools and, and some of those choices, but um, we have to make sure that we're fulfilling that first. The interesting conversation about school choices, there are so many ideas out there that I think we probably are going to spend this session vetting those and, and having some uh, robust uh, conversations about 
what does that mean? And, and can you go a little bit further on that and exactly what that means? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've had some conversations about the Blaine Amendment, whether or not that is constitutional. And, and as for those of you who don't know, that's seeking public dollars to fund private or religious schools. And uh, okay. uh, thus far, we we felt like that that's not the, the role. But we have a lot of, of new legislators who really um, think that's what we should do. Uh, I, I'm okay if we have extra dollars, but I really want to make sure that we're doing that constitutional requirement of funding um, our pu- public education. And, and that brings us to property tax relief, right? So could we properly fund our schools and then reduce some of those local costs to, um, you know, to our homeowners who are, are paying for levies and things that perhaps the state should be funding? Look at that. We did. You even asked and answered your own question that we were going to get to on that. Um, we appreciate that. Uh, Senate uh, Assistant Majority Leader Abby Lee, District 9 in Fruland, thanks for being with us. I hope that this isn't just early in the session, as you mentioned, that everybody seems to be working together and, and that that's going to be the case. Uh, I'm hoping that for your sake and everybody else's that that continues to be the case through the rest uh, of the session. Thanks for taking a couple minutes Thank with you. us this morning, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again before the end of the uh, legislative session. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a great day. 208-336-3700, pound 670 on your Verizon wireless. We will uh, take a break. Phone calls and emails. Want to weigh in on your thoughts? Here's your chance to do it. The Great One, Mark Levin, tonight at 7. Now back to Mike Casper and Chris Walton. This is Casper and Chris, live and local on News Talk KBOI. 9.05. Man, it has been a uh, busy, busy morning. Three hours of the show, it seems like we've already got six hours of uh, content packed into that three hours of the uh, show. Talked to uh, Idaho's newest pro athlete, Indy 500 racer this year. Uh, newest member, he'll be a rookie in the Indy Racing Series, Stingray Rob from Payette. Talked to him a little bit earlier this morning. We've also uh, talked a little bit about the legislature. Continue to take some of your phone calls and emails on those stories uh, coming in here for you this morning. Uh, government wastes, the Pentagon losing track of $220 billion worth of uh, uh, equipment. Um, if you want to weigh in, please feel free. Phone lines are open, 208-336-3700, pound 670 on your Verizon wireless. You can also email us, mike at kbui.com and chris at kbui.com. Speaking about the uh, government waste a little bit earlier, uh, Wayne had, I'd like to say a little to say, but uh, he had a rant this morning, uh, and he makes some good points. Um, It's a little bit long, so bear with me. Uh, Wayne writes in, regarding the federal budget and lack of fiscal responsibility, as evidenced by the report from the Pentagon on lost assets, Reinforced by reports of hundreds of billions of dollars of COVID relief lost to fraud and observation of the inefficiency of government, it's known that there is sufficient money being spent on the government operations. So much money that those entrusted with it can waste it. We're at a time where debt limits for the government are at issue. House Republicans want some control on spending to be put in place. This includes the passage of a budget. The White House is refusing to go to negotiate, all the while the media is performing its usual chicken little dance, not adding any value to the discussion, telling us that we're going to default on our debt. For the love of Pete, I don't know who Pete <laughs> is, but I know this is what I say when I'm frustrated, can we just ask that the House look at obvious waste and just say we're holding the line and not spending any more? If you as a department head want more, then figure out how to make your budget go further through efficiency of operation changes or by cutting waste 
This includes the Pentagon. It's documented that they have money to waste. Can we get the White House to look at the information available? That the debt that we have incurred is costing us hundreds of billions in interest and that this will only rise over time. Can the White House understand that nobody wants to harm the credit worthiness of the United States, but that the money does not grow on trees? They tried that concept with COVID relief, and what we got out of that was horrible inflation and debt. In short, is it too much to ask our elected officials to act like responsible adults? I don't think it's too much to ask. Um, I think it's like my dad used to say, wish in one hand and take a poop in the other and see which one gets fullest the fastest. But, yeah, I mean, that, that's, well, that's a story. That, that, I mean, That's those, remarkably wise, isn't it? You... you brought up the the covid funds and how much of the billions of dollars were lost due to fraud are we ever going to get that money back i mean there's a there's a perfect example you know that there should have probably been a little more oversight on when and where that money was going to i i get it that the government under trump and the government under biden wanted to make sure this money got out as quick as possible so that we didn't see a severe and and drastic effect on our economy but man it just makes me upset to no end when i see and read and hear those stories about people that are buying lamborghinis or you know somehow committing fraud to get millions of dollars in the ppp funds and other fraud during the covid release fund era some of those people are, you know, are going to be going after. I, I just hope that everybody that did this gets punished to the full extent of the law. And in addition to that, ends up having to pay you and I, Joe taxpayer, back that money. Joe Lunchpail. Joe Lunchpail. Yeah. Uh, this is an instant message. It's not signed, but uh, it says Wintro talking about. Senator Melissa Wintrow, that we talked to uh, about 40 minutes ago. Uh, Wintrow is concerned about the government mandating what we do with our bodies. What? How hard did she push on mandating vaccines for state employees and schools? Uh, Not a horrible question. If there are slight differences, uh, probably it's that you can't infect somebody else with pregnancy as easily. (laughs) I'm glad you added as easily. Speaking as somebody who has infected another person with pregnancy three times, it can be done. (laughs) Uh, Paul in Nampa, good morning. You're on News Talk KBOI. Good morning. Excuse me. I think I have an answer to some of the missing billions. Where's it at? Where is it at? Well, I I think we left $85 of it, which you're talking about, in Afghanistan, which the Russians and the Chinese have confiscated and taken it apart and figured out how to do it cheaper. No, but and, and I, I get that, that we left that, but they know that we left that money. The $220 billion is unaccounted for. They don't know where it's at. So you're right. We left, you know, around uh, yeah. the estimate $80 billion in Afghanistan, but they know that was left in Afghanistan. It's accounted for. This is an additional $220 billion that nobody knows where it went. Not, not cash, like but equipment. It, it, they don't know where it's at. They can't it account for like, it. Yeah, it sounds like graft. <laughs> I hate to say that, but that's what it sounds like. Well, I, I can't argue with that because somebody, must, somebody, somebody must have some of it. Right? The money was spent. It bought the, it bought the equipment. They just can't tell you 
who has it now, where it went, and why they lost track of it, which is... I mean, if you were if you were the head of a business company, you'd be fired over something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just wonder what's going on in the Ukraine because they're they're having all kinds of equipment come up missing over there, and it's really specialized equipment with with missiles and other projectiles that um, they they have no idea where it went, and they're talking in the billions of dollars already over there too. Yeah. Thank- somebody's not minding the store. Thank you for the call, Paul. Sounds like nobody's minding it. Yeah, nobody's minding it. That's an obvious. Uh, uh, I, I wanted to get to some breaking oh. news for you that just came in just a moment ago. Um, before you get to that, uh, Alec Baldwin, the producer and star of the movie Rust, will be charged with involuntary manslaughter on the October 2021st onset death of cinematographer uh, Alina Hutchins, Santa Fe District Attorney Mark uh, Altuiz and Special Prosecutor uh, Andrea Reeb announced that Baldwin and uh, Armorer Hannah Gutierrez-Reed will both be charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter. No charges will be filed related can, to the shooting of the director, Joel Souza, who was also injured in the incident. The can, charges I, will be formally filed before the end of the month. I can understand the Armorer because it was her job to make sure that that gun, if on set, did not have bullets in it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't... Uh, uh, Baldwin's. I mean, I mean, if he was the producer, and also the one holding the gun, I guess I, you know, I can uh, understand why they would include him in that. But uh, it's, as far as I'm concerned, solely the the fault of the person who was supposed to load it with blanks. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, we'll find more information as this as as, as we've watched. You know, as far as affidavits come out, uh, when the affidavit is released, maybe there's some evidence that shows that he had something to do with it um you know we've heard in the past when the story broke that you know when it comes to training you're you're trained never to point the gun at anybody even an unloaded weapon when you're on the set or a weapon that has blanks because who's bruce lee you remember how he died mm, bruce uh, not bruce lee. not bruce lee um oh gosh his son. his son what was his son's name um I forget his name, but his his son's Brandon Brandon Lee. There you go. The crow. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Lee died from a gun that had blanks in it. It was not a loaded weapon, so it's a little bit different in this. In in that, um, but this person was a, was a shot yeah, with a there bullet. Was a, there was a bit of debris that came out of yeah. the gun. And- but that's I mean that's one of the traits you should know right there. And if Alec Baldwin pointed a gun and fired a weapon knowingly. Thinking, even if he thought that the weapon was in, empty or not, I mean, you're trained not to after, do that. After this happened, a lot of different movie companies announced that hereafter, when they have scenes where somebody is firing a gun, that the uh, you know the, the smoke or the sound or any of that stuff is going to be added by CGI afterward. Yeah. That there will never be a gun that uh, is loaded or even. Uh, has a possibility of of uh, going off. I think it'd be entertaining if you uh, just had it from now on. Go, you have to point your gun and go bang, bang, yeah, bang, exactly. bang. All right, sorry to interrupt you uh, there, but I wanted to get to that breaking information. So expect the uh, charges to be filed before the end of the month on both of those two people. Another instant message here. This one not signed, but it refers to uh, our senators that we spoke to earlier. This individual says, don't they have all year to get organized? She just said the first two weeks are them getting organized. Not not really. Uh, a lot of the brand-new senators, there are 20 brand-new senators this year, 
and uh, they were all elected in November. So they've had uh, a couple of months to get ready, but they haven't all met each other. They don't know what everybody's agenda is yet until they uh, they get together and actually start uh, having the committee meetings. The other thing that they have to do, and they can't do ahead of time, is the first few, especially the first few days to first week, is spent on rules. So every every year, rules, even if they were in force last year, have to be readdressed and adopted if they're going to continue. If there's any new rules, um, they have to be put in. And so that that's part of the preparation progress, uh, process that you can't do before the legislature gets underway in the session. So there, there are certain things, and I, I get it, your frustration. Uh, I totally get that. Uh, but there are certain things that have to do that cannot be done in advance, and those are just a couple of the things. Bill has written in and says, maybe if everybody in the Senate stopped making a joke of taxes and took it seriously, it would get passed. It's not a joke, folks, and you already can't carry concealed on school campuses. Those who took the course would know that, so it's just a waste of time. Okay, I've... The confusion I think you have here is they are not trying to pass a bill that says you can't carry concealed weapons on school campuses. You're right. That's already a bill. They're trying to repeal that so that you can carry, uh, you can openly carry uh, or concealed carry on school campuses because uh, of the uh, the Second Amendment. Uh, the interpretation here is that it's it's practically unlimited, that there shouldn't be any restrictions right. on that. We'll take a break. 208-336-3700, pound 670 on your Verizon wireless. We do have phone lines open if you want to get through right now. It's the easiest way to get through and uh, talk to us. Uh, but if you can't, we understand. You can also email us, mike at kboi.com, chris at kboi.com. Or if you'd like, you can also text us, which is the same as our main number, 208-336-3700. Be a part of the show at 336-3700 or toll-free 1-800-529-KBOI. Now, back to Casper and Chris on News Talk KBOI. 922-208-336-3700. Pound 670 on your Verizon wireless if you want to get through to us today. Uh, Mark Nampa, good morning. You're on News Talk KBOI. Hey, guys. Good morning. So I have not followed this story very closely at all with uh, regarding the uh, shooting on the set in which Alec Baldwin was uh, involved, but it would seem to me that there should be no live ammunition of any kind, and regardless if someone is an armorer or props or costumes or whatever they call whatever it is, you know, if they have to have live ammunition for security, that should be a separate armorer. There should be no live ammunition anywhere, right? Makes sense. Yeah. And I can't remember the specifics uh, of this, but I think there was some allegations that the gun was taken home by someone and used and then brought back. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was some of the allegations uh, when this story came out. Because I agree with you. It's like, why would a prop gun ever, ever have live ammunition in it? Well, and, and why would there ever be live ammunition involved with anything related to movie making unless it was the security staff and they should have their own it should be separate so if somebody took it home or something there again a major failure because if anything can go wrong it will yeah okay thanks guys yep thank you for the call appreciate it uh idaho boy uh writes in this is a story that we've been uh, covering 
this morning. You've heard in our uh, news at the top and bottom of the hour regarding that report about Dr. Cole, Dr. Ryan Cole. How ironic that a medical board that spread their own misinformation about COVID, e.g. COVID vaccine prevents getting COVID, etc., is trying to still drag him through the mud, even though he actually hasn't made any misinformation. He actually has had no one die from his treatments. It's almost like these frauds on the board don't care about the results, just their pride and hubris of the medical community. This is this is worse, or you look at the possibility of this actually being worse than being dragged through the mud. I mean, this is something that uh, Dr. Ryan Cole can actually lose his medical license over in this investigation. Now, he has until January 30th to respond to these allegations. So this is, this, is, this is more than just dragging him through the mud. This will be an investigation, and he could lose his medical license if he is found guilty of the charges that he's been charged with. If you want to weigh in with your thoughts on that, feel free, 208-336-3700. In case you haven't heard, the Washington Medical Board is charging Ryan Cole, MD, with violations in care related to COVID-19 virus. Charges alleged that Dr. Cole, an Idaho resident, and uh, has a license to practice medicine in the state of Washington, made several false and misleading statements related to the coronavirus disease pandemic. These are charges. I'm not saying this is yeah. what happened. The vaccines for the coronavirus and the use of ivermectin for, as a treatment for the coronavirus. It also alleges Dr. Cole provided false information about the effectiveness of wearing a mask that was harmful and dangerous to patients. Dr. Cole is also alleged to have provided negligent care to patients by not advising them about treatment guidelines and preventative measures by prescribing medications that are not indicated for the treatment of COVID-19 and failed to properly document the treatments, the patient history, or perform physical examinations it'll, of patients and failed to obtain informed consent. It'll be interesting, the, this case. Uh, it should be in court simply because they will have to prove that that'll be part of the case they'll have to prove if they can who was right and who was wrong about all of this uh one other charge dr cole has allegedly claimed on uh platforms that he has appeared in um youtube podcast etc that he has three years of experience in family medicine which according to documents does not appear in his medical license file once again these are allegations not proven as of yet Dr. Cole has, has until January 30th to respond to the allegations and the charges. We'll keep you up to date as that happens as we get closer and closer to that. 208-336-3700, pound 670 on your Verizon wireless. You want to weigh in? Phone lines are open. We'll take a break. When we come back, more info on the uh, case, Brian Koberger's murder case for University of Idaho students, unsealed warrants came out yesterday about search at his apartment at Washington State University. What was found? We'll share with you when we come back after this. Broadcasting from the Empire Title Studios, we are News Talk KBOI.
pound 670 on your Verizon wireless if you want to get through uh, this morning. You are encouraged to do that. Search warrants for the accused Idaho killer Brian Kohlberger's home were unsealed yesterday. Police executed the search warrant at the 28-year-old Brian Kohlberger's residence and office at Washington State University in Pullman on December 29th. That was the same day as Pennsylvania police and SWAT team raided his parents' house and took him into custody. Washington State University police recovered a possibly blood-stained mattress cover, human hairs, a glove, and a computer from the University of Idaho murder suspect Brian Koberger's apartment. According to the search warrant unsealed in Washington court, Washington State University police also seized two cuttings from an uncased pillow that had a reddish-brown stain, one nitrite-type black glove, eight possible hair strands, a possible animal hair strand, and other evidence, including possible blood stains, which were sent to the lab for testing. What do they mean by possible hair strands? Did they not know whether or not they're actually hair strands? Um, it just says eight possible hair strands. Mm. I guess maybe they don't know if they're hair strands until the testing. Now, if you're wondering why the animal hair strand is important, because you'll remember one of the people in the house had a dog. If that animal hair strand matches the DNA of the dog in the house, there's some explaining to do. How did you at your home at Washington State, 10 miles away, have a hair strand from a dog from a murder suspect's home if you're going to claim that you have never been there? Police also found shoes with diamond pattern soles matching the footprints found at the murder scene, as well as data compilations of information about the victims. Investigators sought digital devices, including computers and cell phones, electronic data stored on memory drives, modems and routers, and GPS navigational tools while they were searching. The one computer tower was seized. Records showed mentioned specifically in the search warrant for Koberger's office, where he was criminal justice and criminology, criminology PhD student, Police sought any photos of the victims, electronic records related to the King Road home, internet search history, and social media accounts and passwords. That all according to the records that were released as of yesterday. So another massive amount of what could turn out to be some very important evidence in the case against Brian Coburn. Now, as we mentioned, these are just pieces of evidence that have been collected. Right. No tests have been done. They're that very well could be a blood stain on the pillows and a blood stain on the uh, mattress cover of his bedding but there's no proof that it is the blood stain of one of the murder victims and just having blood is not proof of anything as most people who have known who have either cut themselves or had bloody noses in their beds um causing blood stain you know could be his blood which wouldn't mean anything other than, you know, he was bleeding at some point. Right. You'd have to tie it all together. But once again, more evidence being released in the uh, trial, the upcoming trial for Brian Coburn. John wrote in and says, uh, uh, 
talking about the Alec Baldwin thing, as a youth, I attended an NRA class that was you put our that was put on over a several week class that showed and taught safe and proper use of any firearm. One thing they drilled in was as owner and or operator, you are totally responsible for anything that weapon does. To me, Mr. Baldwin is 100% responsible. It's a cut and dry case. Sad, yes, but the liability is on him. It was his responsibility to know the condition of the prop weapon, period. Anything else is a cop-out. Okay, I disagree with that. It was not his responsibility on a movie set. Uh, everybody has certain responsibilities, according to the union, and he is not the one who is even allowed to bring props onto the set. Right. That has to be a prop person, which it was. That prop person has to make sure that everything is safe. And as an actor, he's not the owner of a gun and not even intending to fire a real one. He's just supposed to pick it up and, you know, it's it's supposed to be right. And it wasn't. Text message in on the same subject says, uh, I suspect some disgruntled, I can't say that word, uh, slipped live, live rounds in the weapon when nobody was looking. And since the armor, from what I've seen, looks like an inked up meth-addled biker, that's entirely possible. So in other words, you're judging this person just on their looks? Come on, man. Baldwin was just screwing around. Typical liberal firearm behavior. Actually, actually he wasn't screwing around. He was rehearsing. Right. Um, but I thought that when filming shooting scenes, blank, CGI, whatever, you never aim at the person. You aim beside the person. And on film, it looks like you were aiming dead on. However, in this particular case, uh, he was supposed to aim at the camera. In other words, the shot was to be him pointing as if he's pointing at you, the viewer, and she was standing behind the camera. The question, I think, would then be, okay, if this was rehearsal and you're aiming, that's all fine and dandy. Why were you pulling the trigger? I mean, it's it's rehearsal. Probably, I don't have an answer to it. It's just like, because, why are you pulling the trigger in a, in a because, rehearsal? Probably because the gun was supposed to be empty, so you might as well pull it. Yeah, and, and uh, there's, a, there's something that we are trained... At least in my family, from the time you are mm-hmm. two years old, you can understand English. You never point guns at anybody, even toy guns. You don't point at somebody and pull the trigger. Unless it's called for in the script. But once again, and I don't have an answer to this, in a rehearsal, I'm pretty sure it's not called for in the script in rehearsal to pull the trigger. It pointed at pointed at the director and well, pulled the trigger. They're, they're rehearsing the same thing they're going to be doing when they're No, I, yeah, and I, I get that. But you're not in the in the script. You're not shooting the director, so why are you pointing it at the director and shooting the director? Now the director was standing behind the camera. You're pointing it at the camera for a point of view. Then why didn't shot. it hit the camera? That's, if he was pointing it at the camera, <laughs> I guess I guess because he's not that good of a shot. Uh, another reason why he shouldn't have been handling <laughs> a gun and pulling the trigger. I, I don't I don't have an answer to to it. It just there's a lot of things that don't add up, and I guess we're going to find out when with the investigation. 208-336-3700, pound 670 on your Verizon wireless. Um, this one, an email from Please Read, if that's your real name. I think that's what they wanted us to do. It says, I, re- I agree with uh, Miss Wintrow. She's talking about uh, Senator Wintrow, who we had on the air here last hour. Any crime as violent as rape definitely should permit the woman the right to rip arms and legs off her own child in response. It's called therapy. Makes the mom feel much better about the violation of her own body by sharing the violence of another. We used to call it kicking the dog syndrome. You know, you're abused. You can't retaliate. So you transfer the abuse to someone smaller and weaker than you. 
Tim says there are two different types of blanks used on movie sets. One, the type with no bullet but a powder charge. Two, the type with a bullet and no powder charge to show someone loading a gun. Brandon Lee was killed by a bullet lodged in the gun barrel. Thank you, Tim. And one, once again, this, this, this is a different situation with Alec Baldwin. It wasn't a blank. It was an actual bullet. What was a bullet doing on, once again, I don't have an answer to this. This is a question that they're going to be asking. Why, on a movie scene, well, is there a gun that has a involunt- bullet in it? Involuntary manslaughter, generally, ha- you have to prove that there was some negligence. No, but nobody was supposed to be killed. Nobody meant to kill anybody. Yeah. But there was negligence, and it did kill somebody. And I suppose you could make a case that Alec Baldwin was negligent because he was the one holding the gun, but the responsibility for that gun was the prop person. In, um, I believe he's also uh, the producer of the movie also, isn't he? Yes. So, I mean, that would also probably fall under the... If the buck stops here. Yeah, yeah right. Ty- type of thing. He's he's the producer of the movie, which could have uh, another part of when this, they bring the charges. This email is not signed. However, it says... If somebody hands me a gun of any kind, the first thing I always do is open the gun and check to see if it's loaded. It's a reflex and quite automatic. These are the kinds of common sense that are gone already. See, and but you're a person that has experience with a gun. I wonder how much experience Alec Baldwin has had yeah. using using firearms. He shot him on movie sets before. <laughs> <laughs> um, another... Uh, Email in, Mike, at KBY.com. This is uh, regarding the uh, points and we were talking about on education this year, uh, public education, something that the legislature must by law do. They're $400 million, and they've got to figure out how that money is going to be sent. Regarding taxes going to public education, these representatives, like uh, typical Hamiltonian politicians, say you can't send your kids to where you want, but we're going to take your money to fund something you're not using. We've only got about 15 minutes left in the show. This might be something to talk about tomorrow morning um, that we haven't talked about a, a lot so far, but the legislature is talking about it. Uh, most of us either have kids in school or have had kids or will have kids in school. Uh, might be something to talk about tomorrow morning about your thoughts of school choice. Are you in favor of this as a way to spend money? And most of the response we've been getting back people who are not in favor of saying all the money then will be taken out by rich people and instead of that money going to public education like it's supposed to do, all that public education money will then flow away into private schools. This might be something to talk about tomorrow morning. Uh, get your thoughts, especially since this is something already in the first two weeks of the legislature that they're talking about and arguing about, one of the, one of the things that they're arguing about already. Like I said, we've only got a little time left in today's show, but um, let's go ahead and uh, put a, a pin in that and uh, bring that back tomorrow morning. I'm, I'm curious to what people think. And then also tomorrow morning, we're going to have members in the House in here. Could be some questions that we can ask about uh, education and where they stand on their thoughts on school choice also coming up tomorrow morning. We'll take a quick break. Final chance to get through if you want to get through this morning, 208-336-3700. Tonight at 10, it's Michael Knowles. Now back to Mike Casper and Chris Walton. This is Casper and Chris, live and local on News Talk KBOI. 9.50, uh, as we get near the end of the show, I had to share this 
story with you, and I know this story is a little long away and doesn't have anything to do with what we've been talking about today, but um, when I watched the story, along with a lot of you, apparently, remember the uh, Tiger King series? Uh, yeah. The, uh, you watch it, right? Yeah, what was the woman's name? Who Carol Baskin. Who supposedly did away with her husband, but they never found him? Uh, they found him. He is alive and well and living in Costa Rica, so apparently he didn't kill, she didn't kill him and have her tigers eat him. This is confirmed? Confirmed. Um, they've told me my husband, Don Lewis, is alive and well in Costa Rica. They've told me? Who, it, who, who told her? Uh, authorities in Costa Rica, apparently. Oh, okay. Carol Baskin uh, proceeded to explain she wasn't sure how they located her ex-husband in Costa Rica or how they knew he was alive. She, however, was glad to hear that he was alive and doing well. Admittedly, she wasn't sure Don Lewis would be capable of supporting himself. Um, I'm sorry. Most people thought not only wouldn't he be uh, able to support himself, but that you killed him and had your tigers eat him. <laughs> well, if that's not what happened, I'm yeah, sorry. That, 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 that's good to know. As I watched that, that's what I thought. But inter- I, I'm, I'm sorry. That, uh, that's a little away from what we've been talking about today, but I just, as many people as watch that, and I was just fascinated with that show. Um, yeah, uh, it looks like Carol Baskin's uh, ex-husband is uh, alive and well. Sean and Wilder, thanks for hanging on this morning. You're on News Talk KBY. Good morning to you. Morning. Uh, yeah, no, no, I was just calling in about the, the voucher, basically, I don't know what they want to call it, about giving parents the right to choose and give them the money to go and find the school they would like, because I live in the Wilder School District, and that school district out here, I don't know what kind of funding they get, but it, it's one of the biggest joke things. I just moved out here about four years ago and got a young a young son who goes to school, and I take him clear to Caldwell to a private school and pay out of my own pocket for him to get an education. They don't even have a cafeteria, basically. They have one restroom that is in the cafeteria area. They only give the students that have to trek all the way across the school to go to the cafeteria, you know, the, the, the minimal amount of time, which kids screw around and stuff, but it, it, who wants to send their kid to something like that? Wait a minute. They have one bathroom? In, in the cafeteria area, yes, one bathroom. Well, then how, I mean, where do boys, what, Boys use the bathroom, girls use the bathroom, boys who identify as girls, girls who identify as boys. Who uses that one bathroom? I, I don't know. <laughs> it's a joke I got, here. I got questions. Perhaps, millions of dollars. perhaps it's a single visitor and, bathroom. Maybe that's it. And all this money, you know, and like they just gave them all the more money. Well, where's all this money going for our public education? And none of it seems to be getting any better. It's like it's getting worse. So, Sean, we put you down uh, fully in favor of school choice then. I for sure. For All right. Sure. Thank you for the you call. Know, good competition and stuff like that. You know, if you got to work a little harder to have students come and get that money for your school district, well, you're going to hire better teachers and, and make sure that the people that are in charge are running the places the way they should be ran. Thank you for the call, Sean. Appreciate it. Thank you. Corey writes in, I heard some of the cast were using those prop guns for target practice with real bullets. Yeah, they probably weren't supposed to be doing that. Probably weren't. So, yeah, once, once it's a prop gun, it probably should never be taken off the set. This one's not signed. It says, any luck finding any hemp growers or how about someone pl- planting a crop this year? 
I am just curious. I'm curious, too. We, I'd love to hear from somebody. We put out the word yesterday for anybody who grew hemp in Idaho last year, and we didn't hear from anyone. One more email before we're done here today. Enough already. We've had three years plus of the day bills ad nauseum, and now you're doing it with the University of, Stu- University of Idaho students and their murderer. Once more, enough already. No need to cover every discussion between them and their attorneys. You are definitely helping me with my addiction to my radio this morning. I find I can walk away more frequently, which is probably a good thing. But here I am writing, asking you to keep me addicted. Quit with the sensationalism, please. Um, it's just it, news. It's if, not sensationalism. Yeah, if you're worried about this, um, you're out of luck because this is something that's going to be covered go ahead by and, us and other news organizations go, until there's a, an ending to it. Go ahead and send in a list of things we should have been talking about. That's it for today. We're on a 20-hour break. We'll be back tomorrow morning. It is free Open Phones Friday coming up tomorrow morning. Hope to talk to you tomorrow.